Good morning. Uh, I'm Nayaswami Bharat, and uh, this is Nayaswami Anandi, and we're uh, very happy to uh, celebrate Sunday service with you on this glorious day. It's breezy and not too hot. <laughs> I'd like to read from Rays of One Light by Swami Kriyananda. These are commentaries on the uh, Bible and the Bhagavad Gita. And our reading this week is How Democratic is Truth? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. We live in an age when people assume that knowledge should be available equally to all. In matters susceptible of judgment by normal common sense, however, everyone knows that there are exceptions. Access to, the, to a control room for intercontinental missiles is limited by universal consent to a very few. Access to the controls of a passenger airliner is limited to those with the necessary knowledge for operating them, and also to those with the proper authorization. If people don't see the disadvantages of making more subtle knowledge universally available, it is only because they are ignorant of the risk involved. In the case of subtle knowledge, the main disadvantage in making it universally available is its harm it might do to one who isn't ready for it and who might even mock it. True, by mocking truth, he might undermine the faith of a few truth-seekers. But then such tests can also be beneficial as a means of strengthening faith. Again, true, the clever doubter's misrepresentation of those truths may dissuade a few, a few, speaker, a few seekers from following the spiritual path. But if a seeker really is sincere, he will recognize the truth eventually because it resonates with his own being. No, the greatest problem accrues to the shallow doubter himself. To give him an opportunity to, to affirm his ignorance might only estrange him uh, even from more from the truth, delaying the time when he will turn, as all people must eventually, to the light. Thus, the scriptures advise not secrecy, but discretion in sharing of truth. Jesus Christ says in the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 7, Give not that which is holy unto dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample on them under their feet, and turn again and rend you. And Sri Krishna says in the 18th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, Never speak of these truths to one who is without self-control or devotion, who renders no service, who does not care to hear, or who speaks ill of me. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. Good morning. This morning we have the wonderful biblical passage cast not your pearls before swine. It is certainly, I think, one of the greatest uh, images in the history of literature. So vivid and uh, so these brilliant white pearls and these muddy feet trampling them. It just really has endured, as we know, for thousands of years. And we can imagine Jesus sharing this, this um, in, uh, advice to people with this really 
harsh thought about these swine and these horrible people that cannot understand the beautiful pearls that we're giving to them and has this vibration like a uh, um, uh, hellfire and brimstone preacher that Master once told about who was saying to his congregation, you will all go to hell and there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And one of the little old ladies in the audience stood up and said, sir, I don't have any teeth. And he said, you will be given teeth so that you may gnash. Well, we could imagine, we could imagine that kind of vibration in this talk by Jesus, but it's easier to imagine him really chuckling at this image of, you know, a little bit, you know, putting these things up as pearls and these other people as swine and just having a really good time with it, which would be a much more magnetic approach to what a spiritual teacher would be like. Because all spiritual teachers understand that every single person is unique. And we're all on a, our own trajectory. We all have our own journey from our personal delusion to unity with our divine nature. And we're all doing it in our own way and at our own speed, just like a flower opening. And there's no way that you can get in there and mess with that. You know, it just, if you try to open up that rose before it's time to open, it's not going to do much good. It just has to go at its own speed. And that's what Jesus is talking about in this pearls before swine, which definitely is memorable. But it's not, as Bharat said, it's not for the benefit of the minister who's throwing out these pearls, but it's for the benefit of the person who's not yet ready to hear them. So how do we know that? And one of the things that I remember very vividly from my early years at Ananda was Swami saying that a strong desire to give advice, now take a moment, if this strikes home for you, it's certainly when he said it, I was like, I think I better listen here. A strong desire to give advice comes from the ego, not from the soul. So it's worth paying attention to why am I wanting to say this and is it the right time to say it? And Swami is really the master at knowing when to say and what to say and maintaining self-control about it all. Um, in the early days of Ananda, there was a man here who was doing something that a lot of different people felt was not in tune, it wasn't appropriate, it might be harmful. I don't know, remember the specifics. And they went to Swami and said, you know, this is wrong. And Swami said, I'll talk to him. And so they all relaxed and that was great. And then they watched and days went by and weeks went by and he hadn't said anything. And the man was still doing the same thing. And finally, three years later, Swami talked to the man, gave him the advice. The man heard it. He changed and that was that. And Swami's simple comment was he wasn't ready to hear it until that point. So he waited. And that's the totally appropriate response. But now for a lot of us here, we've already experimented with casting out advice and so forth. And maybe we've been burned a few times and acquired a few enemies in the process or whatever. But at this point in our life, really the question is, how do we avoid being swine? 
How do we, in other words, magnetize God to speak to us? And in the reading, the Gita explains that to us. The Gita says, do not reveal these truths to one who is without self-control or devotion, who renders no service, who does not care to hear, or who speaks ill of me. So all of those, if we take them in the positive way, are what we need to do. Develop self-control. What does that mean? What that means is that we need to reverse the direction of our energy from seeking fulfillment outwardly to turning that energy inward. This is the path of Kriya Yoga. This is the path of meditation to reverse the energy so that our, as our energy is coming inward, we're more able to attune to sensitive and inspirational guidance. And I wanted to read a beautiful passage from the Rubaiyat. This is Yogananda's interpretation of the Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam. And one chapter is specifically about this reversing of the sense energy. And this is what he says. When the energy can be coaxed to reverse its flow from the senses to the brain, it reveals to our consciousness another world. With progressive interiorization through daily meditation, one develops subtle inner perceptions vastly more satisfying than their muted echoes from the senses. self-control. Then he tells us to develop devotion. God is love. So we're never going to tune into God until our heart's love is opened, our heart's love is developed. There's a beautiful movie about the life of uh, St. Bernadette of Lourdes called um, Song of Bernadette. And Bernadette um, there were many miracles associated with her life. And so the, these are all included in the movie. And at the very beginning of the movie, there's a, on the screen these words. It says, um, for those who believe, no explanation is necessary. For those who don't believe, no explanation is possible. We cannot understand these things through our intellect. No one can ever convince you of them. But as you open your heart more and more, things that seemed impossible make total sense. And so the path of learning to love and develop devotion. The other thing that uh, the Gita reading tells us is service. And interestingly, this, uh, as I said, Bernadette uh, was the saint who discovered the healing waters at Lourdes through a vision of the Virgin Mary. And these, this fountain at Lourdes has become a pilgrimage spot for uh, decades, many decades, and thousands of people have gone there with a variety of illnesses. And many of them have gone away unhealed, and some of them have been miraculously healed. And someone did a study of the people who had been miraculously healed. They found out about them. They wrote to them. They wanted to know 
all about, you know, what were they thinking when they came to Lourdes? What were they thinking at the moment that they were healed? And do you know, I believe almost universally, they were praying for other people. They were not praying, please heal me. They were praying for other people, which is a form of service. So whether our service is through prayer or through cooking meals or raising children or doing any outward form, service frees us from the limitation of our little ego. And it is only our little ego that is keeping us from knowing God. And once we can get out of that, all this divine wisdom, knowledge, it's ours already. But service will help us become free of that. And then the Gita says, do not reveal these truths to those who do not want to hear or to those who speak ill of me. It's very interesting. We think, okay, God is not coming to me because I'm not worthy yet. I haven't done my kriyas deeply enough. I'm not seeing the inner light and so on. But what Yogananda tells us is that God has total respect for our journey. And if we want to find things through the senses, through materialism, he honors that because he knows that if he comes to us, no matter who we are, no matter how materialistic, how evil, how locked in some major delusion, if God would once come to us, we would drop to our knees, we would follow him because God's love is more powerful than any other desire, than anything we could want. And if we could feel it for one moment, we would seek it and nothing else. And he thinks that's an unfair advantage he has. He has an unfair advantage and he doesn't want to exercise it. He wants to allow us to discover for ourselves that we are desperate for that love. And when we can prove that to ourselves, when we know that through and through, that's when he will come. I heard a very beautiful story uh, by a man who's been a Kriya yogi for probably 40 years now. He grew up on the East Coast, and he was telling me that by the age of 23, he was... uh, he was deep into alcoholism. And um, he had a job during the day, and so he never drank until after work. But after work, then he would drink till he fell asleep and then wake up with a hangover and then go to work and then come back and do it all over again. And one day his father came to him and he said, I, and his father, he said, was a lukewarm Presbyterian. He was not a not a new age kind of a person. He wasn't a deeply spiritual person. He just was a normal guy. And he said to his son, the Maharishi is giving initiation and I want to pay for you to take initiation out of the blue. And so my friend said, said it costs $125. He said $125 can buy a lot of booze. I'm not interested. Don't, Don't waste your money. Well, his father came back. And he said, I've decided that I'm going to pay for you, your brother, and myself to take initiation 
from the Maharishi. Will you come? He said, if you don't want to use the, the transcendental, it's, it was TM, transcendental um, uh, meditation mantra, if it all, um, you know, you give it all up, that's fine. Let's just go do it. So they went and took initiation. And after a very short time, the father and the brother dropped away. But this man, once he tasted that initiation, he came home after work. Before he began his evening of drinking, he would do his 20 minutes of practicing the TM mantra. Then he would drink all night. And then he would wake up completely hungover, so hungover that he actually, his body was twitch all over the place. And he would sit there twitching, you know, arms throwing up in the air. I mean, he was really messed up. And he would sit there for 20 minutes and he would do his mantra. Then he would go to work, come home and keep it going. And after three months, he was joining Alcoholics Anonymous. And then he found Yogananda and never looked back. So God is watching our heart. And when he's ready, when we're ready, he'll come and it will be in the right way. I was thinking in terms of the service about something interesting um, that's well worth keeping in mind. I was raised Jewish and I know that in Judaism there's a big part of the Old Testament that's about waiting for the Messiah, waiting for the Messiah, waiting for the Messiah, and of course the Messiah came. And so some of the Jews followed Jesus and knew he was the Messiah, and some of the Jews were at home praying for the Messiah while he was down the street lecturing, okay? And so I was thinking about that and thinking, how does that work? And so when we're looking at this idea of how, when will God come to us, we should take a little lesson from that, that powerful historical image. Because a lot of us, especially we're on a path of Kriya, we have a lot of things we have to do. We have techniques. We're hoping we can see the inner light. We're hoping we can hear the sound of Om. We have all these things that God represents to us. And yet God is right here. All the time. Master said to, say to us, said to us, never say, when will I find God? Say, you have him. You have him. And he tells the story of St. Anthony. That St. Anthony, great Christian saint, was in a tomb meditating for 40 years. And throughout his 40 years, Jesus would come. Not Jesus. Satan would come. Satan would come to him in the tomb and test him and come in various forms of temptation and finally, Satan came and he said, I'm going to bring this tomb down. I'm going to crash this whole thing around you and kill you. And St. Anthony prayed fervently one last time. And Christ appeared. And Satan was gone. And Anthony just bowed before him and he said, I've been here. Essentially, he said, I've been here a long time. Why didn't you come? And the way Master says it in his Bengali accent, he said, Anthony, Anthony, I was just the same with you. Anthony, I was with you all the time. And so as we are on our journey and practicing our self-control and devotion and service and longing to feel God, let's remember 
that he's here and that we have him in everything that comes to us. Um. I forgot to read from this. I'm sorry, I'm going to end with Whispers from Eternity. <laughs> I want to hear thy song in the silence of my soul. Thy gentle voice saying, come home, I often heard. But through many lives it was drowned in the tumult of my wild cravings. I have forsaken the jostling crowds of desire. In the solitude of my mind, my devotion burst to hear thy voice. Take away every dream memory of earthly sounds that yet lurks in my mind. I want to hear thy still voice, ever singing in the silence of my soul. Om. Power with